You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Yeah, man, it, it is amazing. First off, I'm I'm a little overwhelmed. That worship was stunning. I, I just, guys, that was beautiful. That was deep. That was profound. I want Bo. I, 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 yeah, it was so prophetic. I want Bo in here, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's probably debriefing or whatever, but I can't. And it'll be a great, great segue into this morning. Um, I can't think of a, a more prophetic worship time than what we had based on where we're going today and what we're going to be sharing on. I, uh, I want you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 4, Luke 4. And um, Lord, we're going to be back together with you guys tonight, so I love it. Um, we're going to share, we're going to share our story, some of our story today, me and my wife. We've been married 23 years, 20, 20, not 98, so what is that? 21, we're coming on 21 or 22 years, somewhere in there. So uh, <laughs> I'm usually better with dates than she is, so that I'm good. Um, yeah, I, I, I brought, and I'm going to speak into it today, but I brought some of our books. I've never brought my books. I've been come, part of the family here for two years, but I've written five books I've released a recent one called Gift of Tears that's about a month old, and uh, then I also wrote one in December called Teach Us to Pray, and so that'll bless you, and then another book on prayer, but um, I, I, I just want to say this to you. I, uh, I've been traveling. I, we spent 18 years in Kansas City, a part of IHOP, and so I've been traveling most weekends of the year for the last 15 plus years, and uh, been doing this for a second, but... And I know the old, uh, you know, excited preacher's adage is we're in a new season. <laughs> we're in a new season. Look at your neighbor and say we're in a new season. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I want to tell you, and I've only, I don't, I don't think I've done this. We're in a new season. We're in a new season. I believe the body of Christ is in a new season. I believe the church is in a new season. And I, and I believe that we are going to begin to see an exponential growth and release of Holy Spirit activity in this, in this decade and onward than we've seen in the last decade or two in a profound way. I, I, I don't say, so I'm, I'm saving it for now, but I'm saying it. We're in it, and it's going to start unfolding. And I really believe that we're in a similar season as Luke 4. I believe we're in a Luke 4.18 moment. In Luke 4.18, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of backdrop, then we'll jump into it. And uh, the, Jesus shows up in Luke 3. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens open, and Father openly declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Father openly validates his Son, and I love this. And then the Holy Spirit, it's, the Holy Spirit goes, boy, wasn't that good? Wasn't that good? It was amazing. And then the Holy Spirit hands him off to Satan, where for 40 days, Jesus is going to enter into 40 days of prayer and fasting, where the revelation he just received is now going to get solidified on the inside of him. See, you receive sonship freely, but your sonship is manifested through suffering. Sons are manifested through suffering. Okay? The devil comes to test the very revelation Jesus just received. 
If you are the son of God, then prove it. If you are the son of God, what he just told you, then turn these rocks into bread. If you are, then throw yourself down. And Jesus is going to trust the father through the temptation and testing of Satan. And the very testing and temptation of Satan is going to actually solidify Jesus' sonship identity. It says in Hebrews that he was perfected through the things which he suffered. How does the perfect one become perfected? How does the one that knows everything learn obedience? Because it's not about Jesus learning something he didn't know. It's about something that wasn't manifested yet that could only get manifested through the suffering. Which means this, who you really are is manifested through the season you're walking through. And it's actually proving you're not illegitimate and you're not an orphan, but you're a beloved son. It's a deep revelation. It's a deep revelation. Romans 8 says, he goes, uh, we will uh, rule with him, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together with him. So whatever you're going through is the Father's process into bringing you fully into sonship identity, which means full inheritance. Anyway, I thought that was good, Corey. I, you know, I, just, I really? Oh, yes. It, it preaches really good. It's, it's lived out pretty hard. I, and so Jesus, it says this in Luke 3 and 4. It says Jesus went in filled with the Spirit. But look at this. Luke 4, it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. What's the difference between being filled and moving in power? It's that 40 days. It's that 40 days. And so the first thing Jesus does is he goes home. He goes to his hometown, Nazareth, and he go, the first thing he does, he goes into the synagogue, he stands up to read, and, he, and they give him the book of Isaiah. And look at Isaiah 4.18. He turns to the place he wanted and he's going to now read Isaiah 61, and he's going to say this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Keep going with me just because this is fun. Look at this. It says this, very next verse. It says, then he closed the book. It's so vivid. He closed the book. He gave it back to the servant or the attendant. He sits down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say? <laughs> And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you understand the implications of a man that they all knew him? Because they're going to say here in a little bit, that's Joseph's boy. We know Joseph. We know Mary. We know this people. We saw that little whippersnapper grow up around here. 
He was sitting here running around back here in the child, the power kids, and running around here doing worship. We watched that little kid grow up, and then he comes in here, and he goes, I'm the Isaiah 61 promised Messiah that has come to deliver Israel of all of their enemies and to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That's who I am. That is the most radical statement that could ever come out of someone's mouth and they couldn't receive it because they knew him. Over familiarity, and Jesus says no prophets received in his hometown. Now, that's not my main point. The main point I want to hit is the phrase today, this begins. Jesus's ministry is launching at this moment. And I want to declare to you I believe that we are going to see Isaiah 61, the anointing of the sovereign Lord, come on the body of Christ like we've never seen it happen before. We're going to see an anointing upon proclamation. Some of you will do it in pulpits. Most of you will do it in one-on-one coffees. Many of you will do it in your homes. Many of you will do it with coworkers and friends and family. But the anointing upon simple words to give life to poor people is going to be released in this hour. There's going to be an anointing upon trauma-ridden hearts. Sent to heal broken hearts. I'm here to tell you, there are many of us even in this room that have been in prisons of trauma. And, And we're going to talk about this today. God's going to anoint you in the very place you have been in prison to set others free from prisons of trauma. (laughs) Opening of eyes, breaking deception, setting captives free. I believe with all my heart that we're in this moment. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 126. See, Jeremy didn't know where I was going this morning. What Jeremy just prayed here at the end of worship was Psalm 126. And it's actually what I'm preaching out of this morning. Only God could have set this up. That's why I believe we're in a special morning. I want to read Psalm 126, and then I want to share a crazy story. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. That our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue was singing, And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Keep going. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What the psalmist is going to do is to connect the season of weeping to the harvest. Now I want to share on a personal level. So I share what I believe prophetically, but I believe that our lives, me, my family's life, is a prophetic storyline and is a prophetic statement of the season I believe we're moving into. I'm not just sharing a Bible verse and an inkling. I'm sharing the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus in my life. 
10 years ago, I believe we just crossed over a 10-year season. I believe a 10-year season just came to a close. 10 years ago, May of 2011, I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And me and my good friend, Alan Hood, had just gotten in there late for a conference one night. And we had just come out of a 10-month season in Kansas City of 7,000 testimonies, healing, deliverance, salvation. God was moving for 10 months. And we were coming out of that season. We had just ended it. And we, we got to this conference, and Alan just says, Corey, come to the hotel room. I just want to share with you. He starts sharing with me. He goes, Corey, I don't know what's going on. I feel warfare. I don't know what's happening. I feel warfare. I feel pressure in my mind, pressure in my body. I'm feeling just weird. And I, and I need you to pray with me and pray for me. And so we spent a, an hour or so praying together that night, weeping together that night. And before I went back to my hotel room, he said, God, would you give me a dream to help me understand what's happening? So he goes to bed that night, and he had really written an article in ministry today out of the book of Joel, which is called Standing at the Critical Juncture, and how to call to prayer and fasting and corporate gatherings is what God's saying to the church in this hour. He had really written an article, but what he sees is he sees the article on a computer screen. And then he sees the comment boxes underneath the computer screen, and he sees that the comments were witches and warlocks that were cursing leaders and their marriages and their families, and how there was a great assault against those who are taking a stand for fullness. And so Alan clicks on one of the boxes, and he goes into the box. These are dreams. And he encounters this man. The guy is a warlock. He's wrapped in a python. He has pornography all behind him, and the guy is cursing Alan. And Alan hears a voice behind him. Alan, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. Well, he's taken out of that scene, and the next scene, he sees thousands upon thousands of young people in an old tent, kind of the old tent revivals, and he sees me and a man by the name of Bob Jones embrace one another, and we declare the phrase out of Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us. That's what we begin to declare. We were in the harvest season, and the Lord has done great things for us. So Alan wakes up from the dream, comes down to my room. Get up, Corey, get, meet me at breakfast. Oh my gosh, Lord's spoken. I run downstairs, he starts telling me the dream. He gets to the part of me, and, and, and just to give you a little backdrop about Bob Jones. Bob Jones is uh, from the hills of Northwest, from Arkansas, 1973, he's, he's a prophet. He began to see things that were coming in this nation. He saw just great rebellion on many fronts, and so he began to prophesy about this, and the devil said, you keep prophesying about this, I'm gonna kill you. He goes, well, I'm not your property anymore. I'm going to keep preaching it. And so he kept preaching it. Well, he, ended, he died. <laughs> he ended up dying, coming before the Lord, and he had this full-on open vision where the Lord says, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you back to prepare some of my end-time leaders. And one of the places that Bob went to was Kansas City where he was absolutely foundational to what has become IHOP 22 years later. He came, it was in Kansas City for 10 plus years, was in North Carolina for the last remaining years of his life. 
and he was instrumental in establishing end-time moves of God and what God's going to be doing in these last days. So for 20 years, we had heard stories. That's all we did with Mike was tell us Bob Jones stories. I'm telling you wild stuff. Bob Jones in 1982 said, I see the days when there will be Asians out uh, in the rice paddies who will be watching what God will be doing in Kansas City on unplugged TV screens. Just to give you a little context of what I'm talking about. This guy was prophesying about unplugged TV screens in 1982. Mike didn't have a clue what he was talking about. He pictured just an old TV and he said, how's it working, batteries? That just to give you a very small context of what I'm talking about, we had heard 20 years of crazy stories. And so for the fact of me and Bob Jones embracing one another, it means that the former generation that saw it and the younger generation that would walk into it, there's the time of fullness. So we're excited. So Alan, I'm sitting down at breakfast. Alan gets to that stage, that point, where me and Bob Jones embrace one another. And a lady comes and taps on Alan's shoulder and says, are you Alan Hood? He goes, yes, ma'am. She goes, hi, my name is Bonnie Jones, and me and my husband Bob would like to have breakfast with you two. We had never met him. We never, he, he's like, you just know, know where he's going to show up. I've never met him, never thought I'd ever would meet him. And so we're, I go quickly, have a quick quiet time with the Lord just to make sure I'm, I'm good. So I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> you don't need that guy looking up in your business. <laughs> so I, we sit down with the only thing I want to know is where are you from in Arkansas? Because that's where I'm from. He goes, Waldron. I go, I'm from Alma. And he goes, yeah, that's down there on Highway 71. He goes, you know, the Lord's highlighting Psalm 71 right now. <laughs> and the next hour and a half, I'll be honest with you, was weird, all right? I didn't understand most of what he said. He talks in allegories and symbolism and what he sees in the Spirit, and he's got his own vocabulary. That Unless you know that vocabulary, it's a different language. And so, but he gets towards the end of it, and he goes, he just stepped, he took a step back, he goes, you boys have been preaching Joel, and I see witchcrafts come against you. And then he looked at me. He goes, I see python marks in your neck. And he goes, the devil hates the message of prayer and fasting and gathering together and contending for fullness. The devil hates it. And he kept talking about it where Alan had heard stories about where Bob would pray for leaders under warfare, and it would break. And so Alan interrupts him, Bob. Would you pray for us? He goes, I ain't going to do that religious thing. He goes, what do you think I've been doing for the last two hours? Talking? He goes, you boys have been weeping, haven't you? We go, yeah, we were just weeping last night. He goes, you see, witchcraft, it gets in your eyes, and it makes you look on past seasons as if you've never done anything for God. And then it makes you look on future seasons as if you'll never do anything for God. He said, but weeping, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. He goes, you boys are going to be fine. Your ministries are good. Just keep weeping. 
you have no idea how that would reverberate in my heart over the next eight to 10 years as I would hear where there's times of wondering whether I would make it. You boys are going to be okay. Your ministries are good. Just keep weeping. Well, Alan's body would break down. He was entering into a thyroid storm, and it would get really weird for his own body, what he was feeling. And then on March 16, 2013, we have three beautiful daughters. And then on June 12, uh, 26, 2012, we had our son born. We named him Josiah Nash Russell. We named him after an intercessor who was an intercessor with Charles Finney named Daniel Nash. And so we got so marked by this hidden intercessor, we said, Lord, give us a son. We'll, we'll call him Nash. And so he was born on June, 12, 20, or June 26, 2012. And then on March 16, 2013, I was in London, England, ministering, and Dana took the kids down to her parents who are here with us today. The Lord even set all this up. And she went down to Arkansas to see family, laid him down for his nap, and he didn't wake up from his nap. The last eight years have been the most bone-crushing, earthquaking season where you wondered if you were going to make it, where it would be a lot of tears and a lot of weeping, and we would go on a journey of watching God sustain us and watching God bring forth a glorious storyline because that really means a lot when you're hitting on the shepherd this morning. Who am I to lead myself? I want you to know he's a good leader. He's a good leader. But there's some wild stories in his leadership. Okay? I want my wife to come up here, and I just want you to share a little bit. This is, I love this woman with all my heart. And, uh, to you. So I just, I just want you to share it. Just open up your heart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that next, pretty much we were there at my parents' house for the next few days and I ended up going to Kansas city. And that night the Lord had given me a dream and I was in the dream. I was at my parents' house and this tornado was coming and I knew that I had to get to shelter. And so I ran into the basement, which they don't have, but I ran into the basement and we waited for the storm to lift. And when the storm had lifted, I walk out from underneath and it's glorious. Like there's dew on the ground, everything's lit up. It's the most peaceful place. But I look up in the sky and I see like these stars, constellations and forms, but they're in the forms of men's faces and women like dancing with their children. And it was, it was like a glorious display. And I looked to the left of me, and there's a white drain pipe going to heaven, and there's a man dressed in white, and he's just like sweeping the drain pipe. And I look at a friend, and I go, can I go up? And he goes, yeah. So needless to say, um, it was the beginning of a, a journey, which, of hell. But... I know for a fact that was a vision and a picture of the great cloud of witnesses that would be literally praying for me, literally 
ones that went before me, pilgrims of the faith, and that the next season I would desperately need to know that I wasn't alone in this. Um, so for the next so many years, um, the trauma that happened in my mind, I was not the same. Like things that I could have done before, I couldn't do anymore. And what was simple, um, went into a great depression, um, isolation, which led me to start drinking. And so that was a long journey. And so when he was singing, you know, you're not leaving me in my prison and bondage and captive, it was just like, no. But I was in a prison that I didn't think I could get out of. And so that was a long journey. Literally, we almost lost the fit. We almost lost our family, marriage. I mean, the statistics for, you know, someone who loses a child, um, marriage is, is like 80% plus. They don't, you know, it ends up in divorce. So during the season, pretty much where I was not in a great place, the Lord ends up giving me a dream slash encounter with the Lord. Um, he was gone with Alan on a, yeah, on a ministry trip and I go to sleep and I end up free falling from the sky. And, but I know in my brain, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in a dream right now. And when I land, I end up um, in this prison slash ho like a hospital with white walls and there are people working in different areas to try to keep alive. And there were workers all dressed in white. And I knew this is not where I want to be. And I knew now that it's, it was a prison, a prison of trauma, trauma prison. prison. And I didn't think that there was a way out. And nobody in the room thought there was a way out because if you escaped, the workers would chase you, the demons. And then if you did escape, it was like this paradigm of God that you had that he would strike me down and he was angry. And so a man comes to me and he says, there's a way out. And I'm like, and he keeps, he repeats it to me. And I end up with him crashing through this window. It was all glass. And the next part of the dream, I'm at my parents' house, and he, we have lots of land. And so I'm out, and I'm literally running from place to place. And we have this, I had to come to this one place and answer all these questions that I did not have answers to. And finally, after so many of them, I end up coming to the end of myself and literally falling to the ground and just giving up, just going, God, I can't keep it up anymore, you know? And so... Immediately, I see him standing before me, and he's literally looking down at me, and in fear grips my heart, because I'm like, he's gonna strike me down. Like, and I looked to the north, and I see fire literally coming out of heaven, and I just think it's it, and I'm like, and then I see him, and his eyes were with compassion and love, and literally, he just wraps his arms around me and like holds me. And the scene changes to where it's kind of, a, I'm literally walking these streets and it's like these streets that are like in England, the cobblestones, and I'm literally waving my hand and 
a cat gets healed. <laughs> and I was like, and Corey's like, that's a devil. I said, I question the validity of this dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. I don't even like cats either, but I, I went to a, I went to a co-women's conference, which was crazy, because I was like, what's that cat mean? And they, she, somebody had a cat dreams all the time. I have to tell this. But anyways, it means like trauma, and it talks about baggage on your soul. And I was like, oh, here we go. And so the next part of it, what was that? Oh, Jesus shows up. Um, I mean, it's like met or whatever. And Jesus shows well, but first of all, somebody comes up to me and basically is like, somebody needs healing. Like, can you go and heal them? And I knew I couldn't get there on time. But then Jesus shows up out of the bushes, and literally I look at him, and we have this friendship that I didn't have to cry out hard enough. I didn't have to let, sit there and you know, go after the heavens or whatever. And basically, he just, like, I look at him, and I throw him this baton, and he nods, and I know for a fact the person's just healed in that moment. Effortless healing. Effortlessly. And so, the next part. But anyways, during the worst part, the, probably the worst part of, I think, in my walk, I remember the Lord speaking to me, and he had me look, because, I mean, I was going through the emotions of church. I loved the Lord, but my biggest, I never, because we had two previous miscarriages, but I never questioned, like, God's, him being real. It was, but after the first trauma happened, it was like trauma, trauma, trauma. And so I never questioned him in that way, but yet mine was a victim of going, if you wouldn't have allowed this to happen, then I would have never started drinking. And I wouldn't have done this, and I wouldn't. So mine was that victim place. And in the middle of it, of the worst part, probably where I was at, he was like, I want you to look around the room and I looked around, and he was, and it was like, you don't know how many people sitting in pews who go to church every Sunday are in bondage to addiction and alcoholics. I mean, literally, this, we heard statistics. How many, like, how many was it? Of 20 million in the U.S. who are addicted. And so that was... The journey with that part, where are you going to step to the next, the, uh, February? I mean, yeah, in all this, the Lord, and, and, and I, I wrote another book called Inheritance, which is kind of the Psalms the Lord used, my story. We were both, see, that's the thing about moments like this. Everybody goes on their own journey. And one of the main chapters the Lord used to help me was Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is what happens when the devil releases his greatest assault against Jesus' inheritance. And the Lord used Psalm 2 to teach me, Corey, your greatest places of warfare are to become your greatest places of inheritance. And that Psalm 2 is about your call during those seasons is not responding to the chaos, confusion, and craziness, but making eye contact with the Father, receiving your beloved identity, and asking the Father for your inheritance. Because what is Jesus doing when nations are raging? 
He's talking to Father. I, I got a long story with this, but the short of it is this. I spent 2015, 2016, she's on her journey, I'm on my journey, kids are on their journey. And in the middle of all this, I'm crying out to God, God, what's my inheritance? What's my inheritance? And it was in that season that a friend sent a dream to me and that the church was under siege. The cultural wars were increasing and everybody, and everybody was getting exposed. We didn't know how to pray in these days. And so everybody runs to the church and I come into the dream smiling saying, these are the days we've been waiting on. And in the dream, my friend begins to prophesy over me and he said, Corey, for every one voice of awakening, I'm gonna raise up seven voices of intercession. For every one voice of awakening, I'm gonna raise up seven voices of intercession. And then he says, I've given Lou Engel the Nazarites, but I'm about to raise up Nasherites. And the Nasherites will be a hidden army of intercessors who may not be known in the eyes of men, but they're gonna be famous in heaven. And I'm gonna hear their prayers and hear their cries, and I'm gonna release something powerful in the earth. And so this so bound me together, and what came out of me, I go, God, give me 100 million Nasherites. And that's what I want in this whole season, God. Bring forth 100 million Nasherites. Well, I had been preaching this in faith since 2015. We're going on our journey. It's mostly everything in faith. Dana gets sober. We go through a, uh, she, she, we go through a sabbatical. She gets healing, gets sobriety, but there's still a numbness on her. She's not fully there in, in her connection and her, you want to say me that? Yeah. There's still numbness. We're still learning how to dance together here. And, uh, and uh, numbness and uh, so February 20th, three months ago, here, share a little bit. So yeah, it was a season of like numbness I didn't feel, but yet I was walking in freedom from many things and there was a conference going on and basically Lou was there and it was for women's conference and the first night, literally, it's just sharing of dreams. I mean, profound dreams and, you know, particularly one was about Nash. And so that at that moment, though, for my heart, I was like having hope for their future because I would say that even in my numbness, I didn't think, I think I felt like I was disqualified. And that, you know, the season that me and him ran together and traveled and led worship. and 10 years doing that. Yeah was it was done yeah. and so i was living in this place of regret but then seeing like a hope for the future and that night i end up going home and laying on my bed and nobody's in the room and i hear the voice of the lord and he says he speaks to me and he just says dana do you love me and it was a place where I think I hid from him because I didn't trust him. You know, I didn't trust him with my heart. And I'm weep, I'm crying, but he's like literally walking me through the story of Peter. Um, when he came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And it wasn't for the fact that Jesus didn't know. It was the fact that Peter needed to hear it. And the journey of what death had done and what, how he ran from the Lord 
and bring him back to the place of restoration. So you like walk my heart through that, through that for the next few moments. So the next day I end up going back to the conference and I end up sharing it with Larissa. And I didn't think it was like a huge big deal, but little did I know it was. I share it with her and then that night they have like a commissioning, which I think all of it was a buildup. The Lord was breaking off things, um, building up to that Sunday morning. And that Sunday morning, you can tell the part of, is of um, what the theme was at that point. Yeah. We, go, we get right in there and uh, it was that morning when Jews from all over the world were crying out for Messiah like secular Jews, sacred, I mean, re religious Jews. Everybody was crying out, the world's broken. We need the, we need the Messiah to come back. And Lou's there, and he just kicks us into intercession. And from the moment he opened his mouth, the Spirit of God fell in the room. And a spirit of intercession of prayer fell on Dana, where she would enter into the next three to four hours of nonstop travail of that birthing prayer loud praying, loud travailing, like giving birth to a child. And in the middle of it, Michael. Yeah. So, yeah, I, whenever it, Michael had ended up getting up there and literally spoke through um, Psalm, one, um, Psalm 62. And I've raised up watchmen who, 62, yeah. Um, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. And, and, well, first of all, he gets up there and he talks about Peter. And he talks about people that's heart had pulled away from the Lord and, you know, had weren't fully, couldn't give themselves fully to going after the Lord and that this was a shift in the seat, like, and that there was going to be a, a commissioning. And I look immediately at Lowe and I look at Corey and I'm like, you know, and immediately I'm on the ground and I am in travail and weeping for the next three to four hours. And every time that he would speak that verse, it would go even deeper but in my mind, I knew that I knew I'm giving birth to my destiny right now. And I knew that I knew that. And that night I come back to another service, I get right back into it. And so for the next probably uh, so many months, all I did was weep. And all I, I could go into travail in one instant, which is not me. Like there's those ones who do travail, you know, and then there's ones that want to hide on the back row. And I mean, I believe it's all legit, but I'm one that wants to be in the back. I don't want to be a display. And so for that to happen repeatedly um, was supernatural in itself. Where do you want to go to? Well, we were at one of the Barcelonas and they're having a prayer meeting and actually <clears throat> people from... Fredericksburg were there and Corey gets up there and he's just preaching and like not even preaching he's telling stories about Bob Jones and Paul Kane and we started a fast and literally I'm just I'm not there so I'm in the back and they begin praying for the kids in there and I go into to this travail where in the back where I'm literally in a tongue and I'm I'm having a conversation with God and I see a vision and it's Nash and he's literally like looking over heaven and going to go see him. And I knew immediately that exactly what everything, he brought me into that, 
the Nasherite. And I look to these kids and I'm like, these are the first fruits of what God is going to raise up. And in, it's Gen Z. And literally that, you know, a, a movement of prayer and raising up of young people. And I knew that this is the inheritance. And we go to what you want to tell about Fredericksburg. That's where our hearts were knit on the Nasherite. I've been just mostly just saying it for five years and God, is it something? She gets that. We're going to do a 21 day fast. The Lord solidifies. It's an Isaiah 62 army of intercessors. Hundred millions, the number the Lord gave me. So that's awesome. Well, a month ago, and this brings us to the point here. A month ago, there's a conference in Fredericksburg. Everybody's going, Michael and the, uh, some of the upper room team. And I go, Dana, I, I'm traveling all the time. I don't go to conferences unless I'm speaking to them. I'm not looking for a conference to go to. Um, but the, the Lord said, go. And so we went and we would find that the, they had not had a tent gathering since that one that I went to in 2011. It's 2021, May of 2021, right at it. And they bring Dana up and my good friend, Alan Hood's up there. I'm telling that part. So I had been in travail that whole, you know, the last season. And it's almost like I felt like I had to get up there and come up with, you know, because they were like, Dana, get up there. You'll go right in. But I was like, I went up there and not expecting anything. It kind of hidden in the back. I end up going into travail. And I, even at a point where you look down and you know there's a puddle and you know it's supernatural tears for sowing into another realm. And I ended up the, in that place of back in and out of travail. I like, knew that I was supposed to speak, but I, I was like, I didn't want to. Because, I mean, I sing and I've sang for 18, I mean, yeah, 18 years. I sang the word. And so I'm comfortable there speaking I'm not especially in front of how many people were there two thousand and so but when a lady gets up there and she starts to talk about trauma I'm like I knew okay this I'm supposed to share and I end up starting to speak and then Alan comes up beside or comes up and gets on the mic because the music's still going and he goes I want everybody to shut this down it's a holy moment shut the music down and so I walk through the story of um, where the the trauma the hospital of trauma, and I walk through the parts of the dream, and I literally share my testimony pretty much publicly for the first time. And I think the stick, especially with being a public figure's wife, you know, I always felt like I had to, you know keep it together. I mean, I'm not much that I don't, yeah, I don't perform very well though. He was, you didn't do very well, Dana, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty much who I am. I don't really care. Um, yeah, that's true. That's why I love you. Yeah. So, um, but I'm on the ground and I knew that I was supposed to speak and I, yeah, I tell the, I end up telling the trauma dream and the whole part of my addiction and the journey that the Lord had me on. And literally the Lord ends up like literally breaking through and it ends up going from into weeping and travail and 
we ended up leaving but found out that so many people from got healed from trauma especially through miscarriages and um just loss and then it broke out and like pandemonium dancing for the next part of it um so the lord moved yes. where do you want to go with that one <laughs> yeah we so we're in a new season we're in a new season we are family there's if i had time today our friends in kansas city just had a luke 418 explosion god i believe we're at the beginning of the launch of jesus's ministry afresh we're going to see a jesus movement in our nation And I believe that the captives are going to be set free. And I believe it's coming to the church right now. Because he's going to take, it's not going to be, it's going to be the ones who have gone through the trauma prisons and are going to be the ones anointed to bring deliverance to others. Jesus, Jesus, yeah, let's, let's, let's stand. Whew. Holy Spirit, yeah, let's have the, the team come up here. See, she, Ashley didn't know in 2016, January 2016, actually January 23rd, 2016, Jesus the shepherd walked into my living room and he asked me if he could shepherd me, which had an, an implication that I wasn't allowing him. <laughs> he got down on his knees and asked me and he walked me through Psalm 23 and Revelation 7, and heaven's honor for people that endure tribulation. The ones who don't quit. I'll tell you this, every day I watch Dana get back up and re-sign up. Every day for all those years, she'd get back up and she goes, Jesus, I'm coming after you. Whew. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We're in a new season. And God, I just, I ask you, Lord, just to break up the ground here at, with our family here in Frisco. Break up the fallow ground. <sighs> Holy Spirit, just move right now in this room. Holy Spirit, move through this room right now. Oh! 
Open up prison doors, Jesus. Open up the prison doors and that the phrase of Dana's encounter, you know there's a way out. You know there's a way out. There's a way out. There's a way out. His name is Jesus. He's the way. 